So I couldn't think of a better Christmas sermon than Romans chapter 8. <laughs> because what Christmas is all about is what Romans 8 is all about too. So eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 33 and 34 is where we're going to be. So we're going to walk into a courtroom today. And I know... Many of us have been in courtrooms, either for ourselves or supporting a friend or someone that we love. And when I've been there, the, the, the hardest thing to me seems to be the anticipation, just the waiting. Uh, you're, you see... Other people stand before the judge. You see things go on. Lawyers are come to little clusters with their clients and whispering things. And then you hear your name called and charges read. And one occasion, someone I love, the judge... I thought mistreated them or treated them harsh, harsher than they deserved in their conversation. They're standing before the, the stern judge. I think I'm having a problem here. Am I having a problem? All right. Use this one, right? Sorry, technical difficulties. Testing, 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 testing. Hello? That's having problems too. <laughs> hey, in Fiji, when it rained hard on a tin roof, I learned how to yell. So I can do that if I need to. All right, I'm okay now. I'm gonna take, take this off. All right, there we go. These things are really great, but sometimes you have problems. That's okay. Thank you. So we were standing in front of a judge. Well, today we're all gonna go into the courtroom of heaven. And I don't know what your feelings are when you think of going into a courtroom and God is a judge there. Last week we looked at a who question. There's four who questions in this section. We're going to look at two of them today. We looked at one last week. And the one last week was, it said, um, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so the question that we begin with this, what more can be said? What else can be said? Based on everything that Paul has been sharing with us, at least even one verse back, two, two verses back to verse 28, is enough to meditate on. But if you go all the way back to the first chapter and work your way through, what's more to be said to all that? Uh, you could spend a lifetime studying the book of Romans, just the first eight chapters. And it's just filled with marvel. We can meditate, read this section, look at the wonder of God's work in our lives, and then ask the question, what else can be said? And the answer really is, well, nothing else can be said. What, what else can be said? There's nothing else to be said. But here's our problem. Our problem is that we are continually telling ourselves more can be said more can be said because 
of my constant doubt and my constant struggle with belief. You know, we all share that. I think we all share the struggle of belief. And some to different degrees and some days are more than others. And I've said many times, the good news of God is so good, we find it hard to believe. When we really think of the sacrifice, the gift, the unworthiness and in in the worthiness that God puts upon us, we say, I, I just can't believe that's, that's true. And so in this section that we began, verse 30, there are seven questions that should be simple to answer, that should be easy to answer, but then when we measure up, we put, our, we, we put ourselves, our, our lives, up against those questions, our personal self, we find them difficult. We want to say the freeing words that are stated there for ourselves. We, we can say it generally, we can say it poetically, and that's beautiful, but we, we struggle to say it for me, for me. And last week, the question, if God is for you, who can be against you? And that's a wonderful sentence, except when I really, in my quiet moments by myself, think God for, is for Alan, who can be against me? Do I believe, am I comfortable with the thought that God is for me personally? He's for you personally. That God's desire for me, he wants what is best for me, the betterment for me. He wants me to, he, he's, he's working to, uh, in my best interest, and we can think of it gen generally and gen uh, generically and just say, oh, for the church, yeah, that's true, and for the world, that's true, but for me personally, does God really have my best interest at heart? And so the most prevalent answer that we have is maybe the most blasphemous one. Who is against me? Well, I'm against me. That's where it really comes down to. I'm against me. I'm my own worst enemy. And the reason is that I haven't accepted the right answers that Paul is trying to give us here. If God is for me, who is against me? No one. No one's against me except me. And so I fight God's love. I'm resisting God's love. And that's why I say it's blasphemous because God has offered this for me. And he says, no one's, I'm not against you. And we say, but, talk back to God. But God doesn't stop at that question. He adds more questions. God, did I say, yeah, God, through Paul. Doesn't stop there. He, he gives us some more questions. And he, he's forcing us to dig down and really examine ourselves and see the grace, the overwhelming grace that God has given us. The verses that we're looking at, verse 33 and 34, say, uh, begin by saying, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, and is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. And so we have 
judicial language here. The word condemn, the word charge, we're familiar with that. That's, that's in a court, that's courtroom words here. And he brings these two questions, we're looking at two questions here, where he says, Who, who's going to bring charges against you? And he says, who is going to set the sentence? That's the condemnation. It's not just saying a bad word to you, but it's a, it means you're guilty of this, and here is the sentence for your crime. So who's going to set the sentence? Who's going to lay the charge against you, and who's going to set the sentence? When a crime is committed, a charge is presented to the accused in our, in our system, and and it's similar in, in most places in the world. A charge is against you. You're charged with the crime. And this can happen to guilty people, and it can happen to innocent people. Sometimes a charge is laid against someone who didn't commit a crime. And so our court system is set up to not prove innocence, but to prove guilt in our system. And that's a good way of doing it, I think. But basically it's saying, we believe you committed this crime based on this evidence, and the evidence is put forth. My son Matthew, when he was in college, had several encounters with the law. And one of those, he's driving down the street with four of his friends, three of his friends, four of them in the car. Suddenly the police surround them, police cars. Guns are drawn, put your hands up, come out of the car, one at a time. They do all that, Hand, detain, handcuff, question, etc. And the problem was, based on the evidence the police had, he was guilty of a crime. And the evidence was a car of your make, your model, your color, your year, with four guys in it, committed armed robbery down the street. <laughs> All the evidence pointed to those four boys robbing a convenience store or whatever it was. But after questioning and searching and all that, they, they said, well, we're not going to charge you because based on the evidence we now have, we think you're innocent. He was innocent, by the way. <laughs> and so that's how it is, sometimes a, a, a crime is committed and charges are brought forth and it's just, and sometimes you, you're released because the charges are there and you're innocent. And so the question here is, who's going to bring a charge against you? God's chosen ones, God's elect, depends on which translation you're reading. And so if you're God's chosen one, if you're God's elect, this is speaking to you, if you're not God's chosen or his elect, then it's not speaking to you. But he says, who's going to bring a charge? Who's going to present the evidence of guilt that you committed a crime against you? And we have answers. The law. The law presents crime. Romans chapter 2, verse 8 says, those who obey the law will be declared righteous. And we say, good, except we commit crimes. We don't obey the law. We don't obey God's law. If you just read it, you start seeing all the things that you, you shouldn't have done, God's perfect law, and you don't obey it. 
And then not only does the law condemn us or bring the charge against us, the world does too. You've heard how intolerant Christians are, right? Christians are intolerant. Uh, you say that Jesus is the only way to God. How arrogant. That's arrogant for you to say Jesus is the only way to God. And hypocritical. I mean, you act all righteous and smug. You call people to live in love. That's your calling card. Live in love. And there should be a wealth of love in the Christian community, community and instead there's a dearth of love. The world brings charges against us. And then further, our family and friends. Our family and friends brings charges against us. And, and we can fool our friends and we can fool our fr family a little, but those around us can make a pretty long list of all the things, all the charges they can bring against us. Laziness, sharp-tempered, a dash of hypocrisy, bitterness, gossip, the misdemeanor sins pile up. I tongue-in-cheek call those the misdemeanor sins. And then you get into the felony sins of lying and stealing and so on. So the charges our family and our friends can bring against them. It's a long list. And then Satan. Satan reminds God of our sins continually. Over in Revelation chapter 2, 12, verse 10, he talks about Satan being the accuser. He's the one who stands before God day and night, bringing accusations against you. And so basically what we have here is God, or Satan, standing before God and saying, Alan did that today. He did that today. He did that today. Bringing accusation after accusation against us. The word devil actually means someone who throws something up at you. He throws it in your face. He throws it in God's face. Every sin, every weakness is thrown in my face by Satan and thrown in God's face too. And then ourselves. We bring the charges against us. We can, we can hardly compare all the other ones we're, we're, like I said, we're our own worst enemies. We look at our own sins and we just, we feel the anxiety, we feel the guilt. Our conscience constantly reminds us of what we shouldn't do, our reactions to things, our actions. Romans chapter 2, again, it speaks of our conscience bearing witness, accusing and defending us, our conscience and you know how you do this. You, 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 you hear the accusation of your conscience of something you've done, and, and either you will feel that accusation and feel the guilt, or on the other hand, you'll defend it. We make excuses for the sins that we have. We, we put it on, yes, I know I did that, but if that person hadn't cut me off, then I wouldn't have done that. If that person hadn't said that, then I wouldn't have and we defend, our conscience is trying to defend us. And those who are self, uh, more sensitive, uh, uh, there's a certain personality of people who are sensitive to, more sensitive to, to their sins than others. And they're constantly reminding themselves of their unworthiness before God. 
and anxiety builds up and guilt builds up and depression floods their lives. And over 40 years of working with people, I just, I just want to hold these people up who just are so soft and sensitive and feel the burden of sins in their lives. And the less sensitive may not carry a burden of guilt, but we all carry a handbag of guilt with us. Always can refer to that. Who brings the charge? All those. And who condemns? The list is the same. The law condemns us. The law says you did it, so you, the, here's your penalty. The world condemns, condemns us. We're not worthy of this world. And the world says you're not worthy of us. Family and friends condemn us. Satan condemns us. We condemn ourselves. Condemnation is long. And this condemnation is the carrying, as I said, it's the carrying out of the sentence. You're charged, the evidence mounts, the sentence is there, and now you must bear the sentence. Years ago, it's probably 1992, so that's a long time ago, isn't it? Doesn't seem that long to me. I was on a plane, and then the reason I'm remembering it's 1992 is uh, there's a 1991 movie, The Fisher Kings. And in those days, as you said, in the airplane, they had just one big screen. They didn't have multiple movies you could choose from. Everyone watched the same movie. And the movie they were playing was The, the Fisher Kings. I saw it later unedited, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> Some things I shouldn't be listening to there. But the edited version in the airplane, it's very difficult to walk out of a, a theater on the, you know, 30,000 feet above the ground. So you can't walk out of the theater. But as I was listening to this movie, Jeff uh, Bridges plays a, uh, a uh, talk show host. And some of the things he said, he has inadvertently caused the murder of a group of people. And he's just dealing with this burden of guilt that he was the cause of the death of innocent people. And he sought many ways to make it right, to ease his conscience, to find redemption in what he had done. And at one point in the movie, I think he says to his wife, I wish there was some way I could just pay the fine and go home. And when I heard that, I wanted to yell out, you can go home, Jeff. And I grabbed a piece of paper and a pencil, and I wrote down that quote. And I, I got to remember that because that's the way we are. That's the way people are. I just wish I could pay the fine and go home. And we can go home. We have the answers. The first answer is right here. It says, who brings a charge? And the answer is God. And it's God who justifies. God is the judge. We're standing before the judge. And it's up to usually the prosecution to show guilt. I'm guilty of this crime. I'm guilty of this sin. But they are not all-knowing. A judge is not, or earthly judge is not all-knowing. A good lawyer can distract. A good uh, lawyer can make sure certain evidence isn't presented in court, etc. So a lot of guilty people have been found innocent in our system. But what if the judge is all-knowing? You don't have a prosecuting attorney, and you, you don't have a, someone representing you because the, the judge is all-knowing. He knows exactly what you did. He knows exactly what you didn't do. He actually knows things that you don't remember doing. He knows everything. And so this judgment would be absolutely fair. 
this judgment would be, uh, there would be no guilty party that would be left unpunished. And so we stand before God in the Supreme Court of eternal justice. He knows all, and he will be absolutely fair. His say will be final, and it will be a righteous judgment, and he will do the right thing. This is who we stand before. And so we look here in this passage, and it says, the answer, the verdict that he gives is not guilty. It is God who justifies. It's not an acquittal. It, it's not even, I'm letting you off on a crime because I like you more than someone else. But it's called in, in, in the Bible, justification, justifies. And it means no guilt. It means you're considered with no guilt, no crime, innocent. And it comes not from fooling the judge, not from talking your way around it, but from the judge that knows everything you have ever done and he de declares you just as if you had never sinned. Righteous, justified. And that's where the good news is so good. We sit there and go, but, but, I, I'm, and we are our own worst enemies, but I did this, but how can God declare me innocent when I know I'm guilty? And the second answer is Christ, because that's tied to the first answer. The reason God can say you're justified, you're made just as if you're, you've never sinned, it's because the one who had every right to condemn you, the one who had, was the perfect man, the one who lived the way he should live, is not condemning. Instead of condemning, Paul lays out his work. He says, basically, look at what he did for you. This is what he did. His sacrificial death, his resurrection, his death in your place, the resurrection that confirms and proves the terms of justification. How can you be justified? Well, it's based in this work that Christ has done on your behalf. And so now he's in a place of authority. Further, he's done this work, but he stands in a place of authority. It's called the right hand of God. It says he's interceding for you. This right hand of God basically means he is in partnership with God in ruling the universe. Right hand man, he is in partnership with God ruling the universe, that's where he's right now. And in that partnership, he says, he is interceding for us, the elect, the chosen ones. And that word can be translated praying. Wow. Christ is praying for you. You're struggling with something. And we've all done this. And we go to someone and say, will you pray for me? Or someone says, I'll pray for you. And didn't Gary say when he was up here a few minutes ago how over the week people were texting saying they were praying for him and he was encouraged by that? When you got those texts and emails or whatever, phone calls, I'm praying for you. And here, the co-ruler of the universe, the one who laid down his life for you, is praying for you. He is more committed to you then you are committed to him. I believe that with all my heart. 
Who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? Who are these chosen ones? Who are these elect? Does this mean that God just selected a certain group of people and said, I'm electing you, I'm selecting, you're my chosen ones and you're not? And we covered a little bit of that back a, a couple of lessons ago. Over in Romans chapter 3, verse 26, it says, those who have been justified are those who have faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ, you are justified. If you have faith in Christ, you are a chosen one. If you placed your faith in him, you've obeyed him. God says, you are my chosen one. You are my saint. You are a saint. We talked about that last week. You are the called. You are the loved of God. I like Young's literal translation. He translated this, the choice ones. And I don't know if that you get a, a, an emotional response to that, but living on the other side of the world, in New Zealand, in Fiji, we have a, a saying. If something's just really good, it's like, oh, choice. I don't know, have you ever heard that? Probably not, some have, all right. All right. But if something's just really good, you know, you get the fish and, how do you like those fish and chips? Oh, choice. We eat fish and chips. Oh, look at the sunset, choice, man. But God looks at you and goes, choice, ah, choice. You're the choice ones. This is who you are. This is your identity. And since it is God who is the one who is justifying, he's the one who is continually justifying you, who has the ability to bring a charge against you? And since Christ has done this work of redemption, who can condemn you? And of all those listed, including ourselves, the answer is no. <laughs> no one. It's a beautiful passage in Isaiah. Just really parallels this. Where he says, he who vindicates me is near. And that word vindicate means he who maintains my righteousness. Wow. He who maintains me being right with God. Not me doing it, but he who does it, God. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring a charge against me? Let us face each other. Let's go to court. Let's face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who is he that condemns me? And then refers to all those who are doing that says, they will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. They're like old garments hanging in the closet that are moth-eaten. There's no one who can truly accuse us. Any accusation has to be brought to the Supreme Court of Heaven, to the Supreme Judge. The Supreme Court of Heaven and Earth has laid out the charge and says there is no charge against you. And therefore there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? That's the big question. Do you believe that? Because you'll only live it if you believe it. You'll only put it into practice if you believe it. And so this is a silly way of doing it maybe. On a scale of one to ten, Scale to one to ten. Zero being the 
All right, zero to 10. Zero being the worst, obviously, and 10 being the very best. Do you believe God is on your side? You answer that yourself. And, and on a scale to one to 10, if you say, God is on my side, I mean, God is on my side. I'm at a seven. I'm at a three. Where are you? And Paul is saying, what more can be said? I've, I've laid it all out to you. I've shown it all to you. On a scale to one to 10, your answer should be 10. God is on my side. But what, when on, on the way here, I dropped something on my toe. I dropped my Bible on my toe, and I swear, swore. <laughs> I, I didn't do that. I'm just making an illustration, okay? <clears throat> but so what? Let's say I did. Let's say I did. Oh, God is now on a zero because I said a bad word. Or is God really still for me? God has made me just as if I never sinned. Scale to one to ten. Are you blameless today? Are you holy? Are you righteous? Are you just as if you never sinned? And some of you have been thinking bad thoughts sitting here in this room. One to ten, where are you? Uh, five. You're going to live a five. If you really believe that God says in his courtroom, you are justified, you'll live a 10 life. And that Christ represents me, that Christ prays for me, that Christ intercedes for me, that Christ did the work for me. On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you? Wrapping this up, try to put this in the language of the court. Who will swear out a deposition with charges against the choice ones of God? God himself continually renders the verdict right with God. Who are the ones crying out for a guilty verdict? Christ Jesus died, and even more, he, he was raised out of death. Now he is in partnership with God, ruling the universe. He represents us, speaking and praying on our behalf. I hope that encourages you. I hope you can go out of here saying, I don't deserve that, but because of what God has done, what Christ has done in my life, I'm at a 10. God's for me, God's justified me, and Christ is praying for me. God bless us all.